it's over 9,000! Welcome, Super Elite Warriors, to Final Forum, a podcast for the discussion of all things Dragon Ball. I am your host, Jelly, an elite recruiting member of the Frieza Force, on a mission to find the best warriors from across the galaxy to join the greatest army of all time, and I am joined, as always, by my new recruit co-host. This is the Bikini, and I am officially freaked out. I don't see much reason to be. What? A few weeks ago, a machine exploded, and you had your guard all the way up. Now, there are body parts everywhere, and you see... No reason to be concerned? Well, you can't seem to remember what happened while you were here, but it's pretty obvious. It is? Some of these body parts look like mine. How do you explain that? I'm pretty sure you have regenerative capabilities. Anyway, it's obvious that an ant attacked you unawares and took you both out. But there are dead ant parts, too. Right, so Bagithi took the ant out as he died. Open and shut. Now help me get the shank and throw it over the fire. But we could sit here and try and piece this together all day, but we won't get anywhere. Now, we have roughly 45 minutes to an hour while this shank cooks, so let's get into it for the day. But listen, we got a crackling fire, a roasting bullet ant shank, and a portable theater-sized screen. Let's sit back, relax, and do one of those commentaries that we do when we've got nothing else going on. Nothing else going on? This is a bloodbath, and you want to just ignore it? We don't have time for this. We need to do this commentary, and this chatter is just taking up too much time. <sighs> okay, I can tell I'm not going to deter you, so let's do it, I guess. Excellent. Listeners, grab your copies of Sleeping Princess in Devil's Castle, and let's get synced up. That's right. Today, we are watching... Sleeping Princess in Devil's Castle, the second Dragon Ball movie, and we're going to sync you up if you are watching the 2010 remaster version, which you will be watching if you're watching it on any video-on-demand services. If you're watching it on, like, well, I guess that would count as a video-on-demand, but, like, if you're watching it on Crackle, uh, right, Crackle's the one who owns this stuff now, I think? Um, I think so, yeah. If you have the DVD that came in, I think it came in like a slim pack. Um, and if it didn't, it's the, it came in like a pack of four and each movie is labeled movie 01, movie 02, movie 03, movie 04. You have the 2010 remaster. If 
you have the original 2005 disc, which didn't have like any of that movie 02 thing on it. It's uh, it was put in a box set with movies three and four, but not movie number one. <laughs> then you're what you're gonna have to do if you want to sync up exactly is go to the Japanese version because the dub versions on this disc which I have are slightly off sync so if you're watching the Japanese version on any release or you're watching the 2010 remaster in either dub or sub go to the 15 second mark that is going to be right after the Toei logo fades if you are then watching this, if you, for some reason, say, I want to watch it dubbed, even though you're listening to a commentary, and you want to watch that dub version from the 05 release, what you're going to do is just pause it immediately right at one second. When we hit play, you wait 35 seconds and then hit play. You're going to be off because the beginning of the movie is a little bit different, but once the actual action starts and once you actually start seeing Goku flying around on his Nimbus and doing things, you'll probably be within us by a second or two on either side of where we are. So get yourself synced up now that I've given you fairly explicit instructions. (laughs) And it also gave them plenty of time to get everything ready. Yes. Grab whatever you're using for your play button, whether that's um, whether that's your Xbox remote, your PlayStation remote, hopefully not your phone, dear God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> please don't watch movies on your phone. Your computer space bar, your Blu-ray player remote, whatever you got, grab it. I'll count us in three, two, one, go. On go, hit play, and we'll be off and running. All right. In three. Yes, sir. In three, two, one, go. All right. So this is Sleeping Princess and Devil's Castle. And you should be seeing like the red screen that's explaining what this castle is, basically. That's where I, you I like this opening. It's, it kind of reminds me of the, um, the Rankin Bass uh, Lord of the Rings movies from like the 70s. Yeah, it does. It's it's very gorgeous animation, uh, and it's really stylized too. I really like that. And I guess that's the other thing I'll say is we have a ton of notes. We're gonna try and get through them. But if you see something screen specific, feel free to interrupt me. I'll do the same. But you know, we're just gonna talk about this movie. So this this is Sleeping Princess and Devil's Castle. It's that's a pretty good actual translation from what I understand. I think it might be called The Sleeping Princess in The Devil's Castle or something like that, but it's it's pretty darn close. This was originally released in Japan on July 18th, 1987, which is right at the beginning of the Fortune Teller Baba arc, which we just finished up in, in our episodes, at the Toei Manga Matsuri Film Festival, where it was shown as part of a quadruple feature alongside the first Saint Seiya film and the film versions of Hikari Sentai Mask Man and Chojunki Metalder. It is directed by Daisuke Nishio, as was Curse of the Blood Rubies. It was written by Keiji Terui, who also did the screenplay, and music by Shinsuke Kikuchi. 
It earned about $1.4 billion between box office and rental distribution, or about $12 million. Again, contextualizing these, $12 million is not bad at all. We'll get into a little bit more of that later, I think. Let's talk briefly about these other three films on the bill, though. Hikari Sentai Mask Man is the 11th entry in Toei's Super Sentai franchise. For those of you who don't know what that is, what Super Sentai is, it's basically the Japanese version of Power Rangers. We could probably spend an entire podcast talking about Super Sentai and Power Rangers, but basically, when Super Sentai was brought to the US, Saban purged everything except for the effects sequences and filmed a bunch of American actors in stories based around those set pieces. Mask Man appears in the second season of Power Rangers Megaforce, where the team is redubbed the Lightning Rangers. Chojuki, Chojunki, Chujinki Metalder is the sixth entry in Toei's Metal Heroes series, which started with Space Sheriff Gavin. It's a tokusatsu show where the hero transforms into a robot in order to fight evil. It's similar to Hikider, which makes me want to see it, even though I've only actually ever seen the movie Hikider, which is a subversion of Hikider. And yes, you're probably going cross-eyed, but Anyway, the important part is that this was a condensed batch of Metalder episodes that was just put into movie form for kids to see. And then Saint Seiya, meanwhile, is a manga that was written by Masami Kurumada. It focuses on five mystical warriors called saints who fight in themes of the various constellations the characters have adopted as guardian symbols. They're sworn to fight on behalf of the reincarnation of the Greek goddess Athena in her battle against the other Olympian gods who want to take over the world. Saint Seiya wound up running for 28 volumes collected in Tankoban form and has produced 315 episodes of anime and OVA to date with six animated movies, several actual novels, video games, a musical, like a Broadway-style musical, and a live-action movie released in April of 2023. So, Saint Seiya and Dragon Ball would probably be the two uh, tentpoles, I guess, of this batch, this this day's worth or week's worth of run, this, this quadruple feature. I also wanted to add really quick, I, th- I believe Saint Seiya was also released here in the States. Uh, if I remember correctly, I think it ran in, on Toonami. It was known as like Zodiac Nights or something like that. Okay. Anyways, moving on. The Toei Manga Matsuri Refresher we got here. So just to kind of remind folks what, what these are. Uh, so the Toy Cartoon Festival that was established in 1969 as a way to showcase popular anime series uh, as theatrical films during like breaks in the Japanese school year, so like spring, summer, winter vacation. Toy would often splice together a story-driven like three to four episode arc of a show that would run for eh, about r- roughly 90 minutes, uh, or in the case of Dragon Ball, create new content that would highlight what was happening in the show around that time. The festival was uh, a two-week to one-month event where a double or triple or quadruple bill would play, uh, lasting in a total of about three hours. It was a way to get kids into a given show that they might have missed up to that point for whatever reason, be it you know school or clubs or what have you. Every Dragon Ball movie up until 2013 premiered at one of these festivals. Other companies hold or held these festivals as well, notably Toho with their champion Matsuri, which ran from 1969 through 1978. The Matsuri were a way for these companies to get more eyes on their products, and Toys Festival runs to this day, now only once per year in April rather than three times a year. Yeah, and 
like you see this still with these movies that come out the the dragon ball movies lately have actually kind of tried to continue the story uh, or been that later adapted on the the in the the anime right the the mm-hmm. battle of gods and resurrection f became like their own arcs but right. If you've seen any of the My Hero Academia movies, I know that show's like pretty big right now. None of those movies fit in the timeline of the show. They're just like ways to be like, "Hey, here's kind of what this is." <laughs> I've I've seen some of those and they also like retcon certain things within the normal continuity, so yeah, they absolutely do not fit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what we could find for credits on Sleeping Princess and Devil's Castle, uh, with a box office take of uh, 1.45 billion yen, which is roughly like 10 million dollars in in U.S. money, accounting for inflation, this equates to about 26 million. We did a little bit of sleuthing and found that in an episode of The Simpsons, which remains one of the most popular animated shows in America, ad revenue, which we would analog pretty closely to a film's box office revenue, is $200,000 for a 30-second spot. Uh, there are typically eight to nine minutes of commercial time during a half-hour slot. So that means that an average episode of The Simpsons brings in about $3.5 million U.S. dollars. Two episodes, or roughly the length of this film that we're watching, would bring them in about $7 million. So for the cost of producing two episodes of their anime... Maybe a little bit more than that, as you know, this might have fallen outside like typical production schedules. Maybe taken some additional writing time, utilized like less stock animation. The film also, or excuse me, the film almost, the film made almost four times what a similar run of one of the most popular animated shows would make. Not too bad, honestly. Yeah, so that's why they do this. You get to put this out in front of people and make you you put it out in front of people for let's just say even if it was a 50% adder right because the animation is more smooth even even in even in this movie where the the style is just super similar to what's on TV at the time mm-hmm. the animation itself is a little more smooth a little more polished right there's no recycled animation it's all kind of brand new well, you know we go back to the opening that we were talking about too right and, yeah. and this this scene here as well where where roshi's kind of given some backstory yeah this this is a really stylized kind of thing and this looks this does actually look a little bit different than what dragon ball typically looks like the the more stylistic stuff so let's just say you threw 50 percent adder on top of what it normally costs to do your show you're bringing in five, four to five times what you would normally get for ad revenue. Right? It just it like makes good business sense. And on top of that, they're they're advertising their own product with it, which would increase revenue as well. Right. Um. So yeah, what what we've gotten so far in the movie, if you're not following along, you're just listening to us, is more or less a like a recap of uh what like Goku becoming Roshi's student. He's, you know, hanging out with the old hermit and he's saying, hey, you said you would train me. And then Roshi says, well, I won't train you unless you can basically bring me a girl. Right. He's he's telling he's using the guise of I've heard this legend about a princess who's being kept in the devil's castle and you must go rescue her. And whichever one of you 
because Krillin shows up just as he does in the anime. Whichever one of you two can can go and rescue the princess is the one that will I'll take on as my student. So that's the story so far is that there's a princess in a castle kind of like Sleeping Beauty is what is what it's almost portrayed as, right? She's like a little bit, yeah. Being guarded by demons, she's asleep and you have to go rescue her. So this movie is Daisuke Nishio's second film. And by this point, he was a full-fledged contributor to the Dragon Ball team, regularly directing episodes of the anime. So we talked about Nishio in our last episode and how he, his career and how he started. So if you want to learn more about him, go back and listen to our Curse of the Blood Rubies commentary. The film's credited writer, and the only credited writer this time, as opposed to Curse of the Blood Rubies, which had a story writer and a screenplay writer, is Keiju Terui. I think I'm saying that right. Terui was a Toei staff screenwriter who wrote 41 episodes of Dr. Slump and 51 episodes of Dragon Ball, including somewhat notably for our show at least, the Terror and Plague episode, which we previously discussed was based on part of Journey to the West as well as Akira Kurosawa's classic Seven Samurai. And here on the screen you've got a play on the training that Roshi made Goku and Krillin undertake is, you know, you must run to the princess's castle and they're being chased by sharks and Goku's taking the harder, the harder path and Krillin's and taking the winning. easier path. Krillin is of course relying on, on dirty tricks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so interestingly on Terui, while he was employed Briefly, as a writer for Nintendo, he wrote the backstory for the original Legend of Zelda, and thus he receives like a creative credit on a great many Zelda stories moving forward as the original creator of the story. So Good anything that that plays off of that original story in like an explicit way, he gets a creative credit on. Now, the film's producer, Chiaki Imada produced every Dragon Ball movie from Curse of the Blood Rubies through BoJack Unbound. Take a little bit of this as, with a grain of salt as it's Google Translate information, so... Uh, Accuracy you, is yet to be determined. <laughs> you just, you never know, like, if if pronouns get messed up and context gets a little lost sometimes when you're doing Google Translate. But he was born... Imada was born in Hiroshima in 1923, and after school, he joined, joined Toyoki Film, one of the predecessors of Toei. He's responsible for Toei releasing the 1953 film Tower of Lilies, which is about the horrors of the Battle of Okinawa, to the fury of Toei President Hiroshi Okawa. Luckily for Imada, the film became a hit. And he wound up being one of the people instrumental in the founding of Toei Animation, though he often butted heads with Okawa over the direction of the company. Imada would favor theatrical films and feature length, and Okawa simply wanted to do shorter fare. Imada was like, we need to be Disney, and Okawa was like, no, we're good being like Looney Tunes, kind of, right? Where Looney Tunes used to play in between movies in theaters on like double bills and things. The uh, th these these troubles between the two eventually came to a head, and Imada actually resigned from Toei in 1970. Eventually returning, then in 1973, when Okawa was no longer president, he passed away, 
and a childhood friend of Imada's, Shigeru Okada, became the new president. So Imada firmly believed that animation was the Japan film industry's strongest potential for success and exportation overseas. And he focused then on consolidating Toei's animation titles all under Toei Animation and removing ancillary works such as Kamen Rider and Mask Man from Toei to ins- Toei Animation to instead fall under Toei proper. He wanted to firmly delineate between live action and anime divisions. And he then figured that, if hey, if I control all the anime properties and nothing else... I'm improving my bargaining position as an exporter of anime. This is a really cool shot here of the uh, the the devil's the landscape, hand. yeah, and the devil's castle and the five. What do they call it? the devil's hand? Yeah, they call yeah. it like the in the one of the dubs. I think they call it like the five fingers, but that is a pretty cool uh, shot there. Um, so Imada then is considered by many people to be just a very important player in the adoption of anime by the world at large. He was instrumental in the planning and production of the Toei Manga Matsuri as part of this attempt to make anime a celebrated sensation, and he was even one of the people behind the creation of Toei's Kyoto Studio Park, which is a a theme park that they have where, like, I don't know how many rides they have, but you walk around and you can see, like, a They'll put on, like, a tokusatsu show, um, and they have, like, a museum filled with, like, every Sentai Ranger design they've ever had, and they've got parts that are dedicated to Dragon Ball and all of their anime and stuff. He wanted Toei to be, to aspire to be like Disney. Uh, Imada sadly passed of pneumonia in June 2006, but less sadly, he lived to be 82 years old, so he had a good long life and did a lot with it too yes (laughs) as with the curse of the blood rubies the music is composed by shinsuke kikuchi we'll keep saving a future discussion for kikuchi but by this point he's been working on dragon ball so long this movie serves as the debut for the six package of musical cues he produced for the franchise uh these cues then had their anime premiere in the episode goku goes to demon land uh, which we noted previously shares some similarities with this film in terms of general design and feel. Even this part that we're seeing on the screen right here. Yeah, it's it's almost like exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike Curse of the Blood Rubies, however, uh, nothing we found suggests that there was ever any additional or alternate music compositions created for this film. Speaking of dubs, we have some wacky dub situations yet again uh the very first dub ever created for this movie was created by a company called creative products corporation uh this company made dubs in english specifically for release in the philippines it began dubbing dragon ball z in 1993 into the first 26 episodes then despite the popularity and good ratings stopped just prior to 1995 at which point they suddenly began dubbing the original dragon ball then in 1996 they began dubbing z again concurrent with their dragon ball dub Adding to that interesting choice were the choices they made when dubbing the various Dragon Ball movies. In 1996, they dubbed the movies Cooler's Revenge and Return of Cooler and spliced them together into what they called Dragon Ball Z The Greatest Rivals and actually revealed this compiled movie theatrically in the Philippines. Uh, Then they dubbed this this film uh, that we're watching right now 
and the next film, uh, Mystical Adventure, and aired them on TV and released them on VHS and VCD. Then in 1998, they dubbed Broly Second Coming and Bio Broly into one movie and released that theatrically as well. (laughs) They're all over the place. Yeah. Creative Products claims they edited out scenes that they think are too violent or sexual, but in the 11 episodes, all of them from Dragon Ball Z, that have been found, there's very little censorship and a very accurate script, implying either that the statement about censoring things was made as a way to alleviate parental concerns without being completely accurate, um, and that it was made to try and slip under the radar of censors, or that like Filipino standards and censorship are much more lax than that of America. The middle option, trying to sneak past censors, seems the most likely, as the initial 26-episode run of DBZ was given a general patronage rating, uh, while the subsequent releases were all rated for parental guidance. However, it should be noted that the movies are a bit more noticeably edited. In this movie in particular, Krillin's magazine given to Roshi is edited to be a fitness magazine, and the brief shot of a needle poking at Bulma's breasts is edited out completely. We may talk about this dub even more someday in the future as there are some more interesting things creative products did uh, over the few years they had license in the Philippines. Yeah, like they put out CDs and of the music and a whole bunch of stuff that we could probably talk about. We do like a whole dubs episode. Nice. Uh, so there is a dub done by a company called Speedy that was released in Malaysia where Krillin is called Mohan, which is a translation of his Cantonese name. Roshi is dubbed Master Moten, and the Devil's Hand is called simply the Five Finger Mountain. Little else is is known about the dub, and, and I I haven't seen it. I don't know about you, Jelly, but never heard of that. <laughs> like aside from doing this, so Funimation's dub also has a very different voice cast compared to pretty much all their other releases. Uh, Leslie Alexander is Bulma. Uh, Christine Martin is as Bad Lunch uh, would never work on, an, and she would never work on another Dragon Ball film or show after this. Several voice actors would play a role here, and in the next film, Mystical Adventure, that they would never go on to play again, like Chris Sabat as the narrator, Sally Delgado as Goku, who would go on to play Child Dende in DBZ, and uh, Monica Antonelli as Good Launch, who would do Chaozu and Poir uh, later on. Um, that's because this was actually the first dub Funimation ever produced for Dragon Ball in-house, despite not being released until 1998. As to why they never redubbed the movie as they did with the first several episodes of Dragon Ball Z um, after they took over the license from Harmony Gold or Curse of the Blood Rubies as they did in 2009, all under the banner of consistency of voices is, well, anybody's guess at this point. Yeah, it's there's like the old you can watch the old like Blue Water or Ocean Group dubs of like the first batch of of. Dragon Ball episode, Dragon Ball Z episodes that goes through like goes through like most of the way through the Frieza saga. That's mm-hmm. where Frieza has that more high pitched, different, I think very different was, voice. Was or that, not Frieza. that was the run that that like originally was on Toonami, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and that was the Vegeta has like a completely different voice. Yes, um, he sounds much more snivelly. Yes, yes, and um, when. When Funimation like bought the rights, they they let that stay around for a while. But then when they kind of got to the end, they looped back around and they redubbed it to keep it. They wanted it all to be consistent and all with their voice cast. And then they did the same with Curse of the Blood Rubies. But yeah, for whatever reason, they just didn't do it with this movie. 
my my guess would be, and this is purely conjecture, but my guess would be licensing rights. Maybe they, they maybe didn't have the rights to this movie when they went around to to redub everything. Maybe I I don't really know because Cousin Funimation had like the rights to Dragon Ball for forever. Yeah, that's so. true. This is a cool, re- very cool character that we have some notes on later on. This Gastel, but he's got a really cool design. And and, and yeah, this movie is weapon. again. This movie is just like Curse of the Blood Rubies. This is like blistering along. Uh, we've had. Krillin and Goku arrive at the demon castle. They are fighting the demons to try and rescue the princess. Unknown to them, and I'm torn on whether it's a good, like, um, whether I, I like that it's just unknown to them or I wish that they kind of knew about it. Bulma and, and Yamcha kind of went, they went to Master Roshi and they're like, hey, where's Goku? And Roshi was like, oh, I sent them to the devil's hand. <laughs> and they're like, the what? And so they go to try and help them, and they get kidnapped. And so Bulma has met our antagonist of the film, who we have some more notes on also later, but Lucifer is what he calls himself. And he's showing her around his demon castle. So she's in peril and doesn't know it. Goku and Krillin are fighting demons to try and rescue the princess. And currently we don't know what happened to Quar... Oolong and Yamcha. Yeah, they're just they're don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> that brief shot that we just saw of the sun kind of coming in is a really interesting it looks very technological up at the top of that. And yet everything else below it is so demony and and kind of traditional looking. It's I, that I real think- cool blend that dragon ball can do sometimes i think they also just made a joke about it being like baroque style or something (laughs) so we mentioned in our intro that we're looking here at the remastered version of the movie for the sake of ease this is the version that's available on funimation now most readily currently available on home video and on most on-demand services, but there's a fairly glaring flaw in it for big-time video files, especially animation files. An error during the mastering stage has led the movie to run at an improper frame rate, and there are frames of animation just completely missing. This is a shame because it actually means that hand-drawn moments just completely are missing from the remastered version of the movie. Granted, they're like instant frames and you get 24 frames per second, but it can actually be noticeable. When you watch them back to back or or like right next to each other, which I've actually done, you do notice that in like quick panning shots and things, the remastered version looks more stuttered and less fluid. If you watch this movie subtitled while watching the dub audio, you'll notice that the scripts are both wildly different, but also kind of close enough. There's not really any major changes in the terms of the overall story or the context, but like almost no line is directly translated. There is one fairly significant change as Bulma's being prepped, which we're getting right here to have her blood drank by the demons. 
there's much more overt references to them wanting to drink her blood in the subtitles, which I have to assume is the more accurate translation. This is probably because in the earlier years of Dragon Ball, when this was first dubbed by Funimation, they took very great pains to make this as kid-friendly as possible, taking out an explicit reference to drinking blood and changing it to performing a ceremony would fit in line with a lot of the other changes they made while this was being dubbed like when instead of saying someone died they would say like they went to other world uh like you know things like that i also noticed um like in the very beginning when when roshi's sort of setting the boys up to go make this adventure the context is slightly different in the english translation it's like a little bit less skeezy Not by much, but but it like if you if you're watching if you're listening to the to the dub and reading the script at the same time, it's it's it is apparent. Yeah. And it's it's just one of those like 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 Hiffle, home for infinite losers instead of hell. They're just trying to because this is the nineties still when animation was like the dirtiest animation on television was like the Simpsons. So, you know, G.I. Joe made all their bullets into lasers and, like, all that kind of stuff. The Ninja Turtles were never allowed to use their weapons on anything other than robots. Mm-hmm. The Spider-Man animated series, he wasn't allowed to punch anyone. That's why he was always, like, swinging into people or throwing them. Yeah, so it's uh, it's what it was. <laughs> and And really the only noticeable difference between Funimation's version and the original Japanese version are in the opening, which we mentioned. It's a little bit different. It, it kind of shuffles the order of how those first few scenes, those very first few scenes, and it uses the anime's dubbed opening theme and the anime's dubbed end credits. So that's really the only difference. Uh, once again, though, I'm not really familiar enough with this movie to pick up on how different the subtitles and the dubs are. But I just know it's a subtle and slight thing, similar to get my Godzilla references when Americanized Godzilla movies would come out and just tweak things slightly. And just tweaking a line of dialogue or a delivery sometimes can give you a different feel for a movie. And once again, I'll just say, if at all possible, it seems like subtitled should be the way to go here again, if you're looking for the most accurate experience. Also, this is a case where I personally, if I watch this movie in the future again, will probably opt for the Japanese audio because this voice cast just does not sit right for me. I don't know how I, I kind how of agree well with you on that you, one. but like, but part of that's probably like what we were discussing earlier: how it doesn't, it's not quite the same as all of the other dubs that we've heard over the years. Yeah, this this Goku does not work for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I had the same complaint. Uh, as with most things Dragon Ball, we've got some punny names and unique characters here. So obviously the lead bad guy here is Lucifer, is uh, the name of the vampire. This is obviously a reference to Satan, who was Lucifer before he was cast out of heaven. Uh, but it's furthermore a pickup uh, by the anime team of one of Toriyama's tendencies, that uh, which is of opposites clashing. Uh, Lucifer means Lightbringer, and yet Lucifer of this film wants to destroy the sun. The Hunchback character is a reference to Fritz from the original Frankenstein film and Igor from the film Son of Frankenstein. Uh, The stereotype is pretty well known of a Hunchback helping the crazy antagonist complete his mad science work. Here, the Hunchback is assisting Lucifer with a device that will destroy the sun. Minoru Maeda, who did the character design work for the film, said, In truth, I took a character who appeared in Dr. Slump 
and used him as is for the butler. Maida's known for his style of rounded designs. He has the chief animation or, sorry he was the chief animation director for doctor for the doctor slump anime and chief animator for dragon ball uh he worked on all the dragon ball movies up through super android 13 and through the perfect cell saga uh, he remained active in the industry through at least 2020 and has said he feels a deep connection to dragon ball uh stating in 2010 that he'd strongly consider coming back if ever asked he also says that his design process when carry, uh, creating a new character uh, is to just essentially Frankenstein together bits of Toriyama concept art until he comes up with something that feels unique and yet like Toriyama would have drawn it. The only other character of note, really, aside from those we already know from the anime and the manga, is Gastel. Gastel was the red demon we were talking about earlier with the horns and the ribbon. For starters, his name is uh, Waseigo. Uh, Waseigo term? Did I did I get that right? I think so, yeah. Taken from Kasute uh, Buru, which transliterates to gas table, which is basically just a Japanese colloquialism for a stove burner. Uh, Waseigo is a term for borrowing English words uh, for use but only in Japan. It differs from Garaigo in that Waseigo words don't really have meanings in English. For example... Handurukipa is a phrase that means like handle keeper. That's like nothing in English, but in Japanese, it's how they refer to a designated driver. Uh, Gairaigo words, by contrast, are simply borrowed loan words. Dragon Ball fans will be familiar with Buruma uh, being taken for bloomers, as an example. Yeah. So that's just a. Yeah, his his name is a pun. It's they took. Gasuteburu, which is gas table, and made it gastel, but it's a different kind of pun than usual because gas table is like not a thing in English. <laughs> um, beyond being a punny Dragon Ball name, this character, who, in terms of design, I think he's the highlight of the movie. Yeah, he's very fun. He's based on Prince Neja a Chinese deity who appears in Journey to the West and does battle with Sun Wukong. Neja is a mixture of a pair of Hindu deities, Nalu Kavara, a Yaksha, or nature spirit, who most often appears as a sexual trickster, ooh, spicy, and the <laughs> child god Krishna, one of the most important Hindu deities, often worshipped as an avatar of Vishnu or the supreme god in his own right. Neja's story, though, his backstory includes much animosity between him and his father, which is only ultimately resolved when Neja must forego his mortal body, giving his skin and blood to his mother and his bones to his father. But first, he must meticulously scrub all traces of flesh and blood from his bones and present to his father a clean set of bones. As a reward for this meticulous, painstaking work, he's given... An intricate golden pagoda, on each level of which is a Buddha radiant with splendor. And then he is told that each of these Buddha represents a piece of his father and the pagoda his father in totality. Thus, thus Neja learns to love his father. Uh, and in the movie, if we're talking about radiant things, we've just learned recently that the sleeping princess is not actually a princess. It is a diamond that is said to be asleep because it can radiate extreme energy and help 
Lucifer to destroy the sun because he's a vampire. And she's asleep for now and she'll wake up and then help him put forth the energy to destroy the sun and allow demons to take over the world. Um, it just seems like a terrible plan all around. <laughs> in in Chinese cult, in traditional Chinese culture, Prince Neja is said to fly around. And if you remember what what Gastel was flying around on, Neja is said to round, fly around on a pair of fire wheels, and thus he's seen as a god of professional drivers, such as taxi or truck drivers. In Journey to the West, Neja is a general in his father's army, much as he is in traditional culture, before they begin to wage war against one another. And he fights Sun Wukong when Sun Wukong rebels against, rebels against the Jade em- Emperor. After their battle, they become friends, and at various points throughout the story, Neja assists the four protagonists in defeating various demons. One of his great feats is said to be de- the defeat of Ao Bing, a serpent and a dragon prince, who became a feared malevolent ruler. Neja attacks with his magical scarf... Huh? Oh, ho, ho. and shoots fireballs at Aobing. Depictions of Neja show him often with his red military sash around his shoulders. You can see from all of this where Gestel's design quirks come in. The sash around his shoulders, the way he uses it to fight, the spinning fireballs that he flies around on. All of this in a character who's in... He's already dead. <laughs> in a In a 45-minute cash grab movie. Unfortunately, I didn't find anything out about this little pink guy. Yeah, I I didn't find anything either. <laughs> but he's like a kind of typical cute. He's very bitey. Toriyama design. He looks a lot like uh, Obake in a way. Yeah, I could see that. You know, definitely. If, I, if I'm going to say he's based off of anything, and here's. Here's one of the bigger differences in translation, actually, is in the, in the, I'm pretty sure, in the Japanese version, Puar and Yamcha and everyone doesn't know that Goku's going to turn into Uzaru right here by looking at the sun, the sun, the moon. In the original, or not in the original, but in the Funimation translation, they all are like, oh no, here it goes again. <laughs> also, in the original Japanese, this this kind of brings me back to the Fortune Teller Baba arc. Krillin makes a joke about Goku turning into a werewolf before he turns into the Ozaru, which brings me back to the Fortune Teller Baba arc where we were talking about the uh, Universal Monsters and how there was no Wolfman because... I guess when you look at it in a certain way, Goku is the Wolfman. <laughs> oh yeah. And then right here we have Uzaru, you know, picking up and holding launch. This is meant to be a homage to King Kong. Uh, Clearly, he's like about to eat her. That's this is supposed to be a like a King Kong homage. And. uh we have a few other notes. This is the only f- one of the four Dragon Ball movies not to feature Dragon Balls as part of the actual plot at all. And in the version we've been watching, this the Japanese version, I don't even think they mentioned the Dragon Balls even a little. Yeah, no, they don't even come up at all, I don't think. In the in the Funimation 
like the original version the the their original english version that i said runs like 35 seconds behind and that's based that's because the opening is different the opening of the funimation version uses just uh scenes from curse of the blood rubies over a song versus the opening of this is straight up just the anime opening basically right the very, very first introduction of this movie says, there were once seven Dragon Balls, and you can create have a wish. And it's like, it's kind of a way to bring the Dragon Balls into this movie, but then it's never mentioned again. <laughs> so it's like, why do that? <laughs> uh, they probably just felt like, oh, maybe we should give some context as to why it's titled Dragon Ball, but nobody ever talks about Dragon Balls in the, in the actual movie. Yeah, it, it especially because this is, now that I remember, this is the first thing Funimation ever dubbed, you know, so. This thing looks like it's from Alien. Absolutely. Also, a giant bug, which weirdly, like, the cross between Alien and a bug sort of, like, is prescient, giving, given uh, the, the inspiration for Cell. Yeah. This, this, it's a canon for him. But it totally looks like the, the, the chair that the space jockey sits in in the original Alien. Uh, yes, like almost one-to-one, honestly. <laughs> um, the movie, this movie was, was created, likely created for a 4-3 aspect ratio, which is your old, you know, CRT TVs were 4-3. It was made with television in mind, but... It would also have been kept in mind for a 1.85 to 1 aspect ratio, which is like a theatrical aspect ratio because they were screening it for theaters. So thus, either widescreen or full screen is actually an acceptable way to see this movie because they would have, they would have made it to be matted for different projections, essentially. Good cost-saving technique. Early in the in the movie, when Krillin is riding some buffalo around, the mountain in the background is uh, specifically Kilimanjaro. Harmony Gold also had the rights to this movie, but they only ever used brief clips of it in their introduction. They never actually dubbed this movie that anyone knows of. Hmm. Talking a little bit more about Minoru Maeda, who designed Gastel and... I would assume, by extension, probably like Lucifer and that little pink blob dude. <laughs> Makes sense. He began his career in 1968, and he says Toriyama's secret sauce is that his drawings have no disagreeable aspects and nobody can hate them. And then that Toriyama treats them realistically, not so much in design per se, but the way he uses them with motion and having structure and seeming like they have actual bones and muscles. He says that there's a deceptive difficulty in the simplicity of Toriyama's work, and that there's only lines to sketch things out, so if you get those lines wrong, you lose the shape and feel of something entirely. He says that he kept a file of designs, and he would draw based off that. Every time he saw a design or a panel of the manga that he felt was worth hanging on to, he'd add it to the file and use it as a reference. He says at the time it was not uncommon to change the style significantly when adapting something from manga to anime, but he loved Toriyama's designs and drawing methods so much that he hated that idea. And by using this 
reference, this was his way to keep the anime as close in design as possible to Toriyama's work. Maida says Kame Senen was always the hardest for him to draw because of his rounded bald head. So much so that he felt like he couldn't quite get it right. That he had to have Toriyama draw the character while he watched him to see how Toriyama went about building Kame Senen. He says that his favorite character is Puar. Uh, who doesn't like Puar? He's he's best boy. <laughs> and just like that, this movie is over, man. Basically, um, though Meta mentions he would he mentioned he would consider coming back to Dragon Ball if ever asked. He does ultimately conclude he'd be more interested in seeing the younger generation's take on it. So he's like those Buddhist masters. Remember we talked about Shugyo and training and how. You start as a novice, you progress to a intermediate, you then progress to a master, and once you become like a grandmaster, you get more excited about seeing other novices get into it. Yeah. He's like that. He He's more excited to see others flourish and pursue their own mastery. He does say, though, he's very grateful to have worked on Dragon Ball. People still recognize him from it, at least like when he introduces himself and he's like, hi, I'm Maida Midori, and they're like, oh! I recognize I saw your name on TV. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he says that's he's very appreciative of that. And and yeah, this this movie is bam, it's it's basically over with with bad launch good launch type of stuff here. It is a quick quick watch. That yeah, I think it's also the most screen time launch has in all of Dragon Ball. Yeah. And we glossed over, this is the movie where she has that line that we talked about when we first introduced her character on our show, where she has the line where she bursts in and says, like, people call me, let's eat lunch, you know? like. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, this, dang, that is a fast, fast watch. What were um, your uh, overall opinions on this one? I like it. I don't love it. I think it's, I like all the demon designs in it, right? And that's really cool. And and Gastel is, is very cool. Almost wish they had just done a little bit better job of, because they're changing it so, so much off the anime. And this is where I get into, I don't always know if it's, if they're super successful in this idea of introducing people to Dragon Ball, because if you didn't know who some of these characters kind of were already, you'd be very lost. Yeah, definitely. They, they, they kind of tried to do an introduction of characters, but then like by the time Yamcha and, and Bulma and Poor and Oolong show up, it's sort of just like assumed that you already know who they are. Right. They do at least introduce Krillin and and sort of Master Roshi a little bit. But yeah, they just they kind of blitz through some of that stuff like where you could maybe spend and I get it you're trying to do it in 45 minutes so you could put this on a quadruple feature. Um <laughs> but maybe if you were if you were even like 10 minutes longer, you could introduce the characters a little more properly and make this stand on its own a little bit more. But as it is, I think it's a pretty fun almost like filler episode type of stuff. Yeah, that's kind of the same feeling I got from it as well. I liked, like you, I liked the character designs. I thought they were really solid. I also liked that the uh, they did some interesting stuff with lighting and, and uh, certain shots. 
the opening I thought was pretty strong. Overall, plot-wise, it was a little eh, but, you know, I mean, like you said, these are little 45-minute movies where they're trying to get people into an existing product, so I can kind of give that a pass. I think overall, I think I would give this one probably probably four Dragon Balls out of seven. Yeah, it's exactly what I was thinking. Four Four to seven, like a you know, a three out of five, maybe a three and a half. It's like, it's good. It's fun. It's a quick watch, but it doesn't always hold up kind of as its own thing, right? You kind of need, you, you need to be a Dragon Ball fan to, to watch it. Yeah. And I think to also to get the maximum enjoyment out of it. Cause like we said, it's, it's a little, unclear about characters at the start so if you don't have any frame of reference that's going to make it tough to get into Mm -hmm. but then again you know you try to put yourself in the mind frame of a child yeah and they're probably wanting more to just get to the action yeah and which this thing definitely does i can't think like over the years i've gone back and revisited a whole bunch of stuff that i used to like as a kid and i found a lot of it yeah it doesn't hold up but the one thing i was always surprised to 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 ultimately see in a lot of these things that i've revisited is how few of them start with an origin and you know some of these things do hold up so i'll just say like over the years i've gone back and revisited like batman the animated series spider-man the animated series the the 90s x-men animated series the teenage mutant ninja turtles probably a handful of others and like none of those start with an origin story. And then after they've done like 10 or 15 or however many epi- they've done a batch of episodes, then they'll say, okay, now we'll tell you the character's origin. Yeah, it's almost like they wanted people to get invested in the character before they kind of showed you who the character was, which seems seems backwards, honestly, but for some reason it works. It's it's that, hey, and and that's where I think this does succeed and why I would give it like a three, maybe even a three and a half, is the mentality of when you watch a typical episode of this show, this is what you're getting. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's for sure. As opposed to let's make this a movie with a story and a plot unto itself. Same thing with like the the Batman the animated series. The first two episodes of that show were Christmas with the Joker and the first one with Man Bat. I forget what that one's called. But those don't talk about Batman's origin at all. They are just like, hey, when you watch this series, this is what you're gonna get. Yeah, and like again, those those are he's a character that's even before that show was put on the air was super popular everyone knew who it was so they probably felt like they didn't need to tread that ground honestly and that's i would say dragon ball probably especially with by the time you're into your second movie is similar yeah everyone's gonna kind of know this it's a little ubiquitous by this point or at least be familiar with like oh yeah i've seen like you know commercials for that on tv or oh yeah i caught like a couple minutes of an episode of a while back yeah so you just throw at them Hey, this is what, like, if you watch an episode, like, the similarities between this and that Goku and Demon Land episode. (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely. They're, they're, it's almost like one for one. And I would say this is a little better. 
This one definitely has higher production value, that's for sure. Yeah. So that's basically it. That's all we got for this movie. That was uh that was a rip roaring fast plot thing. And and yes, if you haven't been watching and you've just been listening to the commentary, spoilies, Goku wins. <laughs> what? Oh, you've you've ruined a what is it, forty year old movie now. <laughs> yeah, he just blasts it's pretty it's pretty funny it's like a good payoff of everything actually it's it's the pretty standard goku does kamehameha and wins and then but then i do like the joke at the end where they bring launch back to roshi and they're like sorry we like we couldn't save the sleeping princess you know because they didn't bring that diamond back uh they're like we couldn't and roshi's like you boys brought me the best princess ever you know so a dirty old man. That is a good Roshi payoff. The next time we pick up and start doing our episodes, we're going to get into Tian Shinhan. Good old Tian. Gets so. not much better treatment than launch, really. <laughs> is this Ant Shank supposed to smell like this? Ah, yes. That's how you know it's good. Uh, oh, I wonder if I have any terillium in my ruck from when we stopped on that junkyard planet. <sighs> More ant shake for me, then. Oh, God. The stench of it. I think I just lost my appetite entirely. Mm. Uh, well, listeners, mm. we'll take our leave of you here. Can I take my leave and get on the ship so I don't have to smell this anymore? Sure. As long as you grab some Tupperware so I can box up what I don't eat. Some what? No, no, no. We're not doing a bit about how we know what Tupperware is and we have Tupperware in space. We're not doing that bit. We did an entire movie commentary. It's time to just get out of here. You know what? Fine. Let's just get off this godforsaken rock. I'm not doing a bit about how we know about God out here, either! <clears throat> Will we ever uncover the mystery of what happened here last time? How is it that we have Tupperware in space? Will I really get to enjoy this ant shank all to myself? Find out next time and help us achieve our final forum! by Tom Gwelly. It is performed by Dan Kinney and Tom Gwelly. Our webmaster is Dan Kinney. Our theme music is provided by YouTube content creator GVG Kit. Want to learn more about the Dragon Ball universe, including concept art, behind-the-scenes interviews, and recommendations from Jelly and Bikini? Connect with us on social media. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Final Forum Pod. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you receive your podcasts. And of course, make sure to share with your friends and family and help us spread the word of the glory of Lord Frieza. The Frieza Force thanks you for your listenership. 